We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for being here with us today. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you walk within our midst. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We honor you. We adore you. We give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. For you alone are worthy. The worthy lamb that was slain. The worthy lamb that was raised up for our justification. The lamb that bore away our sin and our sicknesses and diseases. You are the one. You are the one. You are the one, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. You ever want the presence of the Lord to be in your midst, to manifest himself? Just start praising him. He inhabits the praises of his people. Not, we're not talking about singing songs. We're talking about praise. Now, you can sing songs, but it's got to be praise. Praising him. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. God is good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I got a, uh, a message from Sydney for y'all, and she said, hello to the family church. If you didn't know, she's in the hospital, and... Um, She's in Fawcett Memorial in room 401, and uh, she wants you to know that if you come to see her, even the men are prettier than her right now. <laughs> uh, but uh, she misses y'all, and uh, if you'd like to go see her, like I said, she's in 401 in Fawcett Memorial, and she would like you to bring words of encouragement from, from the Word of God for her. Don't come and be a cheerleader like rah, rah, rah. Come with the word of God and encourage her with the word. Amen. 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 Praise God. So we believe she will be back with us shortly. Yes. Amen. 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 You know, the Apostle Paul said, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance by the provision of the spirit and through your prayers. Amen. You know, and, and part of that prayer, too, is, is visitation to visit. You know, and um, that's something that, because the Bible says when one suffers, we all suffer. You know, so we should all be a part. We should go see her and uh, just bless her. Don't crowd in. Don't, don't make an appointment where all 15 go at one time. You know, but go in, see her, share truth and life from the Word of God, and um, just be a blessing to her. And that will help her to recover. I don't know if you know that, but that helps you. To, you know, even, even the world knows this. Uh, one time we went to a, um, a meeting, and it was over at, uh, well, now it's, what, Shore Point over here in Punta Gorda. But this was years ago, probably back in the 90s. And they had a meeting, and I don't know how, but I got invited to the meeting. And, and the whole idea of the meeting was that they have found out that when people maybe go into the surgery room or involved around in the surgery and looking in at the surgery, that if they pray, the surgery has different results. Yeah, they found that out. Now, now, please understand what I just said. I didn't say prayer to God because you had humanists there. You had uh, Muslims there. You had all kinds of people there. So we're not talking about praying to God. We're talking about prayer, Pr any kind of prayer. Now, if the person having the surgery believes in prayer and the person praying believes in prayer, then whatsoever things you declare and say, you will have. It's a, it's a spiritual principle. This is not something that just operates in the kingdom. Now, I tried to explain that to them at the meeting, but that didn't go over very well. They're like, what? Who the heck invited you? Where did you come from? I didn't get invited to the next meeting. They said they were going to have another one, but I didn't get an invite to the next one. And then they were going to have a symposium about it. And I figured it's because they suppose and just don't really know. 
They just suppose a lot. But, but the world knows that, you know, that there's a connection there. So how much more that we serve the Most High God, the Everlasting Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Great I Am. How much more that when we pray, we know that things will be taken care of because God promised it that if you pray according to his will, he hears you and you can know that you have the request that you have prayed. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, that's not what we're teaching on today, but we could just keep going with that. Yeah. You know, thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about different kinds of giving and uh, we've talked about the tithe, and we talked about first fruits. So today, we're going to talk about giving to the poor. Giving to the poor is the greatest type of giving in the whole world. Everybody understands this kind of giving. Not everybody understands tithing or first fruits, but everybody understands giving to the poor. Why? Because you can see the poor. You can hear the poor. Isn't that right? Your emotions are tugged on. When it comes to the poor and the needy. And giving to the poor, according to the word of God, is called almsgiving. Not alm, alms. I know it sounds the same with my Brooklyn accent, but it's alms, A-L-M-S, almsgiving. <laughs> Don't be given your alm. <laughs> All right. So uh, look at Job 31, <clears throat> verses 19 through 22. I just want to look at several scriptures here first. Job 31, 19 through 22. He says, if I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or that the needy had no covering, if his loins have not thanked me and if he has not been warmed with the, with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the orphan because I saw I had support in the gate, then let my shoulder fall from my socket and my arm be broken off at the elbow. So what Job is actually saying here is that if there is a needy person and he doesn't help them, if he doesn't help the need, if he doesn't give them a hand out, then he don't need his hands. It's pretty much what he said. Okay? All right, go to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at 36, 37, and 40. Acts chapter 9, 36, 37, and 40. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. And this woman, and this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in the upper room. And then, you know, just to tell the story... They knew Peter was nearby, and they called Peter to come. And he came, and uh, he had sent them all out of the room. It says here in verse 40, he sent them all out of the room, and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. So deeds of kindness and charity was what? Giving to the poor. All right? And she got raised up. Praise God. You know, you don't always get returns in money. Acts chapter 10. I mean, what good is all your money if you did? You know, Acts chapter 10, 1 through 4. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. It's the only place in the Bible that the Italians are mentioned. Although all the Romans, of course, are Italian, but... You know, they don't mention that. So I, I like that verse. <laughs> he was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. <clears throat> and about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. His prayer and his what? Almsgiving. This is the time when it says that the giving is a memorial to God when it's almsgiving, giving to the poor. So it came up to the Lord as a memorial. John 13. I may be killing some of your sacred cows today. I don't know. John 13, 
verses 27 through 29. You know, it's good to kill sacred cows because then you can get the real beef. Uh, John, yeah, 13, verses 27 through 29. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him, talking about Judas at the Last Supper. Therefore, Jesus said to him, to Judas, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew of what purpose he had said this to him. For someone was supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. All right? So Judas was the treasury of the ministry, and it was assumed that Jesus was telling him to go give money to the poor. Why? Because that was Jesus' custom. That was his custom to give to the poor. Amen. He had a treasurer, so you know the ministry had money. Part of that 40 million that he received from the wise men at when he was two years old in Nazareth. So he was besides because in Acts it says, you know, of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and power. And he went about doing good. You know, and what does that word good mean? What is that word? You remember? What is the Greek word? Huh? It meant that he was giving things, helping the poor. He was, I forget, the, I forget the word that it's used, huh? Huh? Philanthropist, yes. He was a philanthropist. Thank you. Okay? So, yeah, I know. <laughs> I barely could say that. <clears throat> so, when it says that he was doing good, it meant that he was a philanthropist. He was being a philanthropist and helping people, but he was also getting people delivered from the hands of Satan. So there was a natural side and there was a spiritual side of his ministry. That's why he had a treasurer. Somebody had to hold the money and be, be accountable to it. Amen. Are you with me? So um, giving to the poor was something that Jesus did. You know, when he went to Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus and he said to Bartimaeus, what would you have me to do? If Bartimaeus said, I could use a whole year's worth of, of, of giving to me so that I don't have to be out here for a year. And Jesus would have turned to his ministry people and said, give him the money for the year. Now, wouldn't you like to be in that place? To be able to give that kind of money? Now, you say that on this side of not having the money. But that's something you have to keep before you in case you do get the money. See, now God knows your heart, and he knows that it's like on this side of not having won the lottery. Oh, I'd do all this for if I had to win the lottery, but then you win the lottery, and it's like, hmm, let me see, what can I do? And all of a sudden, things change. So, yeah, we say that we would like to do things if we had money. But you know what happens. You get money and flesh goes, I need, I need, I want, I want, got to have, got to have, got to have. And then maybe there's a little something left over. Don't shout me down. Because we all have a carnal side, don't we? And that takes control to override that carnal side. It don't just happen. You have to want to. So as Christians, it is our duty to help others as we have the ability to. Which, you know, when you help others, it's also a joy to do it. Yes. You know, now our church used to be down on 41. In fact, it's where the uh, Marine place is now on the corner of Taylor and 41. There used to be an A&P store, old A&P store, and the church was in that store right there on 41. Well, since we were on the main thoroughfare, we had all kinds of people come in with all kinds of stories. I mean, stories. You know, one person needed diapers, so we got them diapers. Then all of a sudden, everybody in the neighborhood needed diapers. And we're thinking, aren't you too old to be needing diapers for somebody? You know. And then we had somebody show up, and they needed a prescription fulfilled. And we, we got their prescription filled. And then all of a sudden, everybody needed prescriptions filled. And what we found out was they were taking the diapers and the prescriptions and selling them for the drugs that they wanted. 
Yeah. One person, of course, came up, and we were in the parking lot, and one person comes up to Pastor Morgan and says, can you give me $10 for gas? And Pastor Morgan says, sure, I'll give you $10 for gas. Just go over to the gas station across the street and bring me a receipt. The guy takes the $10, drives out, waves goodbye, don't even stop at the gas station, and just keeps going. I had another fellow call the church Sunday morning, said that he had just, lost, he had just started a new job, and he didn't, he's not going to get paid until next week, but he needed money to take care of his family. And I said, so where do you work? And he tells me over at Tire Kingdom there in Port Charlotte. I said, oh, now this is years ago. I said, oh, because I, I used to be in the automotive business. So I said, oh, I know Larry. I said, I'll call Larry and tell him to give you a paycheck, and I'll make sure it's covered if there's any issues. Oh, no, I don't want you to call Larry. I don't want you to do that. I said, no, it's no problem. I know Larry. I've known him for years. He's like, no, no, I don't want my job to be in jeopardy. I said, your job's not going to be in jeopardy. I'll take care. Click. <laughs> the end of the phone call. We had another guy come by, and this was a long, this must have been in the 80s, I think. And uh, he was carrying a cross for Jesus. I'm carrying a cross for Jesus. And I've carried it this far. And I came back, and they impounded my car. And I need $50 to get my car out of the impound. Now, this was like nighttime. So we said, well, we've got some people in the church that have businesses. I'm sure they'll give you a, a, a job for one day so you can make $50. And he says, is there an assembly of God church nearby? <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had another person that was actually had started coming to church for a while. And um, I think they had lost their job and they needed money. So that, uh, because she was going to lose the house or where she was renting, whatever it was. And they were going to put her and her kids out on the street. And she didn't want to take the money. She said, I'll, I'll pay you back. Well, I, well, OK. And we gave her the money and took care of whatever needed to be taken care of. And never saw her again. Took off. 41 years. We've heard all kinds of stories. We've heard all kinds of stuff. And in 41 years of people that said, I'm going to pay this back to you, one person did in 41 years. Yeah. But when we gave, it was out of goodness and it was compassion for the people. And here's the thing you need to remember. You are not responsible for what they do with that money. You are not responsible. You're responsible to obey God and what they do with the money. It's up to them. You know, and sometimes I have to fight about thinking about this stuff because you can become cynical. You know, and I really do have an issue with that. I was brought up in New York, so you never trusted nobody anyway. You know, and then when they want to come to your face and lie to you just to get some money, you know, then you really can get cynical, you know. So I always have to kind of fight against all that stuff and um, not be cynical because there are takers out there. You know, the Good Samaritan is a great account of helping one who fell on hard times. The guy, you know, the, the guy that the Good Samaritan helped he wasn't living in poverty. He was attacked. He was robbed. And because of theft, he had nothing left. Right? So he fell on hard times. So the good Samaritan took care of him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go to James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. I mean, I remember times... Even before getting saved, I remember giving money to help somebody out. And uh, people would come to me and say, you know what they're doing with that money? They're not doing what you gave them that money for. I said, I don't care. It's up to them what they do with it. I wanted to give it to them. I gave it to them. They do what they want. I even knew that as a sinner. James 2, verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warned to be filled, and, you, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? So the Word of God tells us not to dismiss these cases or just pray about them. 
but to physically do something to help. And that's, of course, if you have the ability to be able to do that. And we're talking about genuine situations, genuine uh, help for people. You know, sometimes it's hard to know the genuine from the takers. And that's why you need to pray and you need to hear from the Holy Spirit and do the best you can. You know, how many of you would think that you hear infallibly from the Holy Spirit? <laughs> yeah, no hands. Good. Yeah. So we do the best that we can do. Okay. But uh, sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes we get some right. Sometimes we get a little wrong. You know, but we do the best that we can. And the, one of the issues with dealing with the poor is the emotional tug. And it's sometimes hard to hear God when that emotion is pulling on you. And because you have this emotional tug, you think, oh, that's God pulling on me. But you got to know the difference between your emotions and what's in your spirit. Spiritually, it's classes. You've been taught. Amen. Proverbs 19 and verse 17. Proverbs 19, 17. It says, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. So this is another rate of exchange that God gives in an area of giving. For the tithe, he said, he opens up the windows of heaven and rebukes the devourer for our sake. For giving of first fruits, he said, that the bonds will be filled with plenty and there'll be a pouring out of divine blessing because he can trust you with money when you give him the first fruits. Isn't that right? Amen. Almsgiving, God promises repayment. So you have to understand the rate of exchange for every type of giving. This is a dollar for dollar exchange. This is not exchanging, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, no, no, this is, not, this is not going down to the exchange and changing, um, you know, $5 worth of bot and getting $50 worth of American money. That's not what it is. This is dollar for dollar. What you spend is what you get back. What you give is what you get back. It's a repayment. A lot of people, see, and here's where the problems come in. A lot of people, they think that when they give alms, that they can expect the windows of heaven to be opened or the bonds to be filled with plenty. But it's a different type of giving. And you have to know what kind of giving you're giving to. Because the promise of alms is not that the windows of heaven will be opened or that your bonds will be filled with plenty. And through the years, I've heard people say things like, I don't give to those ministries, you know, and I don't believe for that sowing upward stuff. I give to the poor only, and I'm going to reap a harvest from that. No, you're not. No, you're not. Giving to the poor is a promise of repayment. It's not a promise of harvest. You need to know what you're doing and stop telling God how things are going to work in his kingdom. Now, you may have done it out of ignorance, but now you're finding out. God does what? God says. God don't do what you say. God does what God says. So giving to the poor, okay, is good. It's good to give to the poor. But you have to understand what principle you're working at that time. You can sow green bean seeds and expect an apple tree. But you're going to be really disappointed. See, and this is what people do. I'm giving, to the, I'm giving alms to the poor, but I'm expecting this harvest to come in. And then when it don't, you get disappointed. Well, because you're not operating the kingdom correctly. You have to know what you're doing. God laid it out in his word, hasn't he? God is bound to his word, and he's bound to his word only. He's not bound to what you think, and he's not bound to your misinterpretations of the word. The promise of giving alms to the poor is repayment. It is not about living under an open windowed heaven or that the devourer be rebuked or that your bonds will be filled with plenty. Proverbs says we lend to the Lord and he will repay the loan. Amen. 
If you lend it, it's a loan. He'll repay that loan. Dollar for dollar. So don't mix up your giving. You have to know what you're giving. And do it with purpose and do it on purpose. In other words, when I'm giving, whatever it is I'm giving, the purpose of what I'm giving, I'm doing it on purpose. This is what the promise is behind this kind of giving. And this is what I'm declaring over my seed. Amen. You can't give to the poor. Let's say there's, there's somebody on the street and they got a sign and it says about needing money. And you go up to them and you give them $20 and go, I'm believing God that this is going to bring a great harvest into my. No, it isn't. You know what giving $20 is going to do for you? Going to get you $20 back. If you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord and he'll repay what you lent. Now, if you're money hungry, you'll never give to the poor. Because to you, well, that's not a good enough return. And you, you start operating the things of God like you're operating the stock market. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to give over here into this stock because there's a promise of a great return. But there's not much over here. I might, yeah, I know, I might get my money back, but that's not what I want. This is what I want. I want a big investment with a big return. Well, that's not the kingdom because your heart's not right. God's not a stock market person. Amen. Don't shout me down. Are you with me? You still hanging in there? Are we good? So there's different rates in the kingdom for different giving. Let's look at the rate of exchange for gold right now. Is it about $1,900? Well, wouldn't it be silly to expect that rate when you're selling silver? Well, here's silver. I'm not going to get $19 for an ounce of silver. Why not? That's the exchange. No, that's the gold exchange. The silver exchange is about 22. So if you're going to exchange your silver on the expecting gold exchange, you're going to really be in really disappointed. I'm bringing all this silver into exchange and I'm going to retire off of this money. No, it's $22 an ounce. It's not $1,900. Are you with me? Different rates for different giving. So you got to be a sower and not a thrower. What is the best thing you can do for a poor person? The best thing you can do for a poor person is not be poor. It's the best thing you can do for a poor person. See, and this is where selfishness really shows up in the body. Well, I don't need any more. What do I, I don't need, I'm doing good. I don't need any more. See, that's selfishness. All you're thinking about is yourself, and God can't use you to bless somebody else, and you can't help the poor because you poe yourself. Don't shout me down. And, you know, how long has the church told you? I mean, the... The organized church, religion, has told you, if you want to be humble, you got to be poor. Poor doesn't make you humble. Poor makes you poor. That's all it does. You can have all the money of the kingdom and still be humble. Amen. It's just like uh, children. You know, we think, oh, don't give them too much. You'll, dis- you'll, you'll spoil the child if you give them too much. No, the Bible don't say that. The Bible says if you withhold the rod, you will spoil the child. So it's not giving the child all that they want and all that they can have and all that you can give them. That's not what spoils the child. What spoils the child is not disciplining them. That's what spoils the child. If you don't discipline them, I don't care if they have nothing, they will be spoiled. Amen. Amen. So the best thing we can do for a poor person is not be poor. The more we reap, the more we have to give. And we're talking about, of course, the legitimate poor. This is why we like to do things through organizations like the Salvation Army, because they vet people. (laughs) You know, we have so many people call, say, well, you know, can you can you help me out with this? I go, well, we do it through the Salvation Army. Well, they won't give me any. Well, you know, I'm sorry. So we like to do things through organizations because they know who's doing the rounds. 
They go from place to place and all this other stuff. Everybody knows. Everybody knows where you come over here when you need this this day and go there if you need this this day. And the, you know, and that's fine, but that's not your answer. And that's not where you stay at. You look to get yourself out of that. Amen. It's like welfare. If you need welfare, my God, use it. But you don't look to stay there. You look to get off of it. And sometimes in order to get off welfare, you have to give it up. People are like, you know, well, I don't want to get an increase in raise because then I'm going to get off. They're going to take away my welfare. Well, sometimes you have to do that if you're going to push forward. Because if you stay there, you'll never get out. It's like people say, well, I, you know, they used to tell Fred Price, well, you know, I was born in this neighborhood and I couldn't get out. He said, why? You don't have two feet? You couldn't walk? You do what you need to do when you want to do it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the devil wants you poor. Yeah. He wants the church to be in lack. He wants humanitarian organizations to go bankrupt. Why? So that there'd be no help for people. And then he, through his world system, can move to seemingly help people. But yet all he wants to do is keep them in bondage. And you have to know the difference between help and bondage. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, again, understand this very important principle. If I only give alms to the poor, the Lord sends repayment. But the devourer could destroy it before it even gets to you. Of course, the vine in the field could cast its grapes. Or... When the Lord sends repayment, it gets in my hand, and the devourer comes and devours my things. So I have need now to use that repayment money for something that just broke down or whatever it might be. Because the devourer came. Are you with me? Almsgiving is important. So is tithing. So is first fruit giving. Neither of these are the only way to give, but each one opens another avenue of blessing. Amen. Amen. God even, go over to Leviticus 19, verse 10, because God has even made room for the poor in the law. You know, Leviticus is the book of the law, right? Well, here in chapter 19, verse 10 of Leviticus, it says, Nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Let's look at that in the message translation. It says, don't strip your vineyard bare or go back and pick up the fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. So God has provision for the poor and for the foreigner. Isn't that right? Amen. Mark 14, 7. Jesus says here, you will have the poor with you every day. For, uh, uh, can we go back to New American Standard, please? He says, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. All right? Jesus was always concerned about the poor. Now, this is when Mary poured the ointment on him, and everybody was freaking out because of the expense of the ointment. And um, Jesus said to them, you always had the poor. So Jesus is not saying that giving to him is more important than giving to the poor. You have to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about the sense of occasion. Okay? The occasion. This is the occasion to give to him. There's always going to be occasion to give to the poor. But his time was short, so this is the time to give to him. Amen. Because Mary was under a lot of criticism for not selling the ointment and giving it to the poor. And Jesus is actually defending her. So those that were criticizing Mary were looking at good deeds. But at this time and occasion, they were missing the best deed. 
Amen. Jesus is saying that no amount of almsgiving will eradicate poverty. You will always have the poor with you. But yet this type of giving is the type that the world does the most. Well, why does the world do this the most? Well, it could be because almsgiving, giving to the poor, is the only type of giving that's not seen as giving to God. Are you with me? I'm helping this person out. I don't see it as giving to God. Those ministries, that church, that kind of stuff, we don't give there because that's just for those people or, or whatever. They don't need it. We give to the poor. You know, that's not really giving to God. I can't see God, so how can I give to God? I can't see God. I'm just giving to that church or I'm just giving to that organization. See? Are you with me? Almsgiving is the only giving that makes the giver feel good about themselves because you helped another person. Man's inhumanity to man facilitates poverty. The only reason there's poverty in the world is because the inhumanity of man. Short-term offerings cannot solve long-term problems. Poverty is a long-term problem. You can't solve it with short-term offerings. If there's one thing that God wants poor people to have and to keep is dignity. Dignity. Because if there's one thing that's easier to lose for a poor person, it's dignity. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. Now, here's one of the acts of righteousness. So when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by man. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees, in, it sees what is done in secret will repay you, and other translations say, openly. Much giving to the poor is done in direct disobedience to what Jesus told us. He said, do not give alms, do not give to the poor to be seen of men. Don't be a croaking rooster or a proud peacock flaring your feathers because of what you've done your being noticed will be your reward and it will be in full and you will lose any reward in eternity because your being noticed will be your only reward god wants to reward us openly tabitha was rewarded openly cornelius was rewarded openly job was rewarded openly and many others in the bible were also rewarded openly god saw god rewarded are you with me the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing and neither should other people know what you're doing any others should not know what you're doing anything you do for a self-congratulations is a loss of reward God is not opposed to our talking about the tithe. He's not opposed to our talking about the first fruits or sowing seed, but he is very opposed to our talking about our almsgiving. Jesus said it should be secret giving. In other words, nobody knows about it. He's actually telling us that if we do anything in our almsgiving to promote ourselves and is no more secret, we lose all the rights to divine rewards. Alms are given in secret for what reason? To protect the person's dignity in their season of crisis. That's good. Exposing what you did, how much you did, makes that person a spectacle in their time of need. 
God does not want them to be seen in a lowly way. Not in our eyes, not in somebody else's eyes, and certainly not in their own eyes. Because the more that you talk about it, and the more they know about it, their dignity will fall lower and lower and lower. We've had people come in and go, I just hate to, add, I hate to come to you about this and I hate to talk to you. See, because they're dealing with the dignity issue. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. I'm sure we could spend a lot more time on all of this, but as you meditate on it, you'll get it. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in un unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Amen. Amen. So going back to verse 4, you know, love, the love walk covers every area of our life because God is love and we ought to be walking in his nature. Isn't that right? Walking in love is a principle of the word of God. But we want to apply it today to almsgiving because you can apply it into every area. But we're applying it today into almsgiving since that's what we're talking about. So he says love is patient. Love is kind. It's kind. Love does not remind the poor of what you did for them. Because if you do, you'll lose your reward. Because now you will look important. Love goes on to say, it does not brag. There's a biggie. Love does not look to gain self-importance. Certainly, it is not to compare one's giving to another's giving. I helped that person out. I mean, I gave him fifty. Oh, but I gave him a hundred dollars. You did. Well, I'll give him two hundred dollars. You no, know, that's not right. <clears throat> that's not competition, right? Yeah. It does not brag. Love doesn't look to gain prominence, looking important in front of other people. Now, like I said, this applies to every area of life, but we're talking about almsgiving, yeah. looking, trying to gain prominence and look like the. The head honcho, <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? You lose your reward. No matter what good thing you do for somebody, you want to look like the head honcho, you'll lose all your reward. Love is not arrogant. Oh, I hate that. Love is not arrogant. Love does not parade itself like a peacock with its open feathers. Look at me, look at me, look how pretty I look. Look at what I did, look at me. This doing a seemingly good deed will only be masked in pride. And although you may have gave all that you had to the poor, you did not have love. And it's wood, hay, and straw. And it all gets burned up. Lose your reward. Amen. Verse 5. Isn't this fun? <laughs> love does not act unbecomingly. Love don't make others feel like they're a burden, because that would be rude. Love is not rude. rude yeah, yeah, that's what you need here. I, I'll help you out with that. That's rude. Unbecoming. Love does not <clears throat> seek its own. It's not, we're not giving to gain advantage over somebody else. Yeah, I'll help you out with this, but I'm going to come to you later. With I'm going to ask you for a favor, and you can't refuse me. You know? <laughs> no, it's not about trying to gain advantage or look to your own benefit. Now, I don't know about you all, but before being saved, that was my life. I did nothing for anybody or anything unless I could get an advantage and get a benefit from it. I'm sorry to say that, but that man died, thankfully. Or giving to somebody and expecting them now to return your favor. What do you mean you can't after what I did for you? Oh, 
Oh. Well, I would never say that. Well, do you think it? Because inside sins are just as bad as outward sins. Are you? Yes, that's another teaching. Are you with me? You don't look for the favor to be returned to you. The, you know, even that one scripture that says, give it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, that men will pour into your bosom. Well, how many times do people give to somebody else and they expect they're the ones that's going to give back? Well, you have limited your return. That person may have nothing at all to do with your return. But yeah, a lot of people do that. After what I did for you, you can't. So you gave with strings attached. And you're the only one on the hook. <laughs> Amen. We don't seek our own. We're not looking to have control in somebody else's life. <clears throat> well, I've given you this money, and this is the way you need to spend it. This is what you need to do with it. We've had people in church like that. Not anymore. Not anymore. But we've had people in church like that. God has us give, but then you're finished. You're done. God sees when the poor are being taken advantage of, whether it be by controlling their lives, trying to gain an advantage or benefit or return favor. God sees when the poor are being taken advantage of, and the one taking advantage of them will reap. Not according to what they gave, but according to their attitude. Love is not provoked. Love don't get upset. Don't get irritated. I gave to them, and they said they needed it for this, but they didn't use it for that. Well, how do you know? Have you been looking over their shoulders and controlling their life? How do you know? And what business is it of yours? They do what they want to do with it. You gave, uh, did you give it to them? Yeah. Or did you give it to them and go, well, that's my money you've got. Oh, oh, yeah. you're seeking your own now. No wonder you get provoked. You still think that's your money. But I thought you gave that money. You know, I had a, uh, my godfather uh, back in the 60s. He had his favorite vehicle that he loved. But then finally, he sold it to get something else, and he sold it to his neighbor down the street. Well, he watched his neighbor every day to watch how he would take care of his special favorite car. And it got to the point to where he wouldn't talk to his neighbor anymore because he didn't handle that car the way he thought he should have. Yeah. Even as a 10-year-old, I knew that ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> Are you with me? Don't get provoked. How people use their money, it's their money. And how they use it is their issue. And you're wanting to be involved with that and get them to use it the way it should be is a form of control. You're controlling. Controlling is demonic. I don't know if you know that. Controlling is a demonic spirit. Same thing with the tithe. Same thing with the tithe. I've known people that would tithe into the church, but then they'd want to know exactly how the money's being spent. And I would say to them, are you taking responsibility before God on how the money's being spent? Well, no, I'm not taking Then it ain't none of your business. Now, if you want responsibility before God, before God, you want responsibility before God. And, of course, you know, the arrogant is going to say, well, sure, I'll take that responsibility because I know how money's supposed to be spent. Sure, in your infallible self, you got it all together, don't you? And the minute you decide, I want to be responsible for how that money's spent, you just lost the blessing that goes with the tithe. Just being honest with you. Amen. We've had people in the church that want to use their money to control the church. They're not here anymore. Because they do not control the church. 
There is no control in the kingdom of God with an earthly, temporary, material thing. You notice that there are no plaques. Even when we had pews, there's no plaques on the end of the pew. This was donated by so-and-so. Well, this is to so-and-so that was a big giver in the church. No, no. God is the one that gets the honor. This is called church. God's house. God's assembly. He's the one that gets the honor. Isn't that right? Money does not control the church. If you make a decision based on money, 95% of the time you will be wrong. You make a decision based on the anointing, 95% of the time you will be right. Amen. I knew somebody back in the 80s, and they would give money in the church back then, in the church that we were in. And uh, every time they saw the pastor's wife with a new dress, they felt like that's all their money was being used for, to buy clothes for the pastor's wife. Well, first of all, I think the pastor's wife should have some clothes. You know, (laughs) clothes is a good thing. All right. But at the same time, people act like, well, what I give to that church is that's what you're living off of. Like ministers are not allowed to have investments. They're not allowed to have rental properties. They're not allowed to buy and sell property. They're not allowed to make money anyplace else. They're not allowed to have a a stock market thing that's working for them. They're not not allowed to have anything. It's just what they get. My donations is what's taking care of you. I mean, you you understand what I'm saying. We've we've had people that thought that way. That's poverty thinking. Amen. And I'm not saying that in churches, funds, I'm not saying this church, but I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that within churches, funds are never misused. Funds are misused. Funds are even embezzled, embezzled by the pastor. We've seen people that do that. But our giving stops with our giving. Amen. That pastor that embezzled the money, if that congregation gets ticked off at them and gets real judgmental on that pastor, the congregation is the one that's in trouble now. What he did is wrong. He should go to jail for it. But that doesn't give us any right to step over that line. Our giving stops with our giving. Amen. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. We should look to be directed by the Holy Spirit in our giving without strings attached. If there are strings attached, that person will never do what you want them to do. You will find something to be ticked off, irritated about, provoked about, and feel like you were wronged. Well, I gave you that money, and this is the way you... No, that's taking into account a wrong. Of course, we're supposed to give in love. Isn't that right? What does love do? It tells us in verse uh, 6, it says, love rejoices in truth. Now, what is truth? Truth is when you're acting inwardly and outwardly. So outwardly, I'm giving to the poor, but inwardly is a heart of love. That's truth. Now, outwardly, if I'm giving to the poor and inwardly, I'm thinking they better use it the way they need to use it. That's not truth. You're no longer in truth. Because inwardly is the nature of God, which is love. So unless you're doing it in love, because faith works by. So if you're not if if you're giving to somebody and you've got a different motive and attitude on the inside and they better do this and blah, 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 you know, they, they didn't even thank me for that. You know, if there's something inward different than what's going on outwardly, you could forget about believing God for what you need. Forget it. Because you're not walking in truth. I know that's hard. But we have to understand the principles of the kingdom if we're going to work them and live in them. Only giving in love can we release our faith because love 
never fails. Love never fails. It doesn't say faith never fails. It says love never fails. Love is a very powerful, powerful force in life. God is love, the most powerful force in the universe. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And therefore, it never fails. It never fails. It never fades. Faith that works through love, faith will always work. Only giving in love can we release faith based on our giving. Amen. We understand that there are truly some poor people that are takers. And you have to understand why. It doesn't mean that they're mean people. But some believe that they're less, less capable than the one that's giving. So therefore, they feel like they're the low man on the totem pole. And what happens when you feel like you're the low man on the totem pole? You feel entitled. I'm entitled because you have all that, and I'm the low man on the totem pole, so I'm entitled to this. It's called covetousness, envy, jealousy. But it's they have the wrong idea about who they are. Why? Because of their situation, they've lost dignity. Now, that can happen with their upbringing. It can happen with experiences in life. It can happen because they've been disappointed. They can, it can happen because of things that they have encountered. But they've lost their dignity. And we should not make that loss of dignity worse by giving openly and patting ourselves on the back. We should not keep the poor down in life and therefore also lose our reward. Let our alms giving be from a heart of love and let's consider the other person. Put their interest above ours as our giving is in secret and God, God who sees in secret will repay us openly. God will not be a debtor. He will not be a debtor. He, will. he told you to owe no man anything, and he's the same way. He will not owe you anything. He will repay what we've lent to him because he promised it. Amen. Hallelujah. So just add that almsgiving to the repertoire of giving that we've talked about so far, the tithe, the first fruits offering, and now almsgiving. Again, neither one is the only way of giving, and they all work together. And they all work together, and you'll see that as you study it. They all work together. You can't have one without the other. Just like soup and sandwich, a horse and carriage. <laughs> uh, I hope this helps you today. I want you to get a good understanding about what the Word of God says about giving because I don't want you to confuse what you're looking for in rewards and then because of the principles being out of alignment, we get disappointed and frustrated. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, we bless you, Father. We honor you. We thank you for your Word. Thank you, Father, that your Word covers every aspect of human existence, that we never have to go without, we never have to be without. I thank you, Lord, that we take the wisdom of your word. We've received the data today from what your word says. Father, we'll meditate on it, give ourselves to it, and that we will receive from you impartations of revelation that comes from what we've heard today. And, Father, out of that revelation will come application of working it in our life correctly and according to your purposes. So Father, I thank you for it, and I bless you for that, Father. Now, Father, as we come with our giving today, Father, we may be coming with a tithe, and therefore there's a promise of the windows of heaven open, the devourer being rebuked on our uh, behalf, and that our vine in the field will not cast its grapes before its time. We may be coming with a, a seed sowing. You said that there's one that gives and yet increases all the more. Father, we, we might be doing something, and maybe we're going to... Um, a gift towards Harvest Festival, which is going to be a, a benevolence out into our community, Father. And that will be a lending to the Lord to help other people. Father, I just thank you. Thank you, Father, that based on our giving, 
that we can operate and believe you for our returns. And we thank you that you are not a man that you should lie, but every word of yours is purest truth. We thank you and bless you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thanks for joining us on live stream or on podcast, wherever you may be online. We're so glad that we could join together. I do pray that the Word of God has brought increase into your believing and understanding of what the Word of God talks about and how God operates in His uh, kingdom and the aspects and avenues that He's given to us so that we can give and yet look for in those different avenues, look for returns and look for harvest and look for repayment of what comes to us. Thanks for joining us. And if there's anything we can pray with you about, please let us know. We're always ready with our prayer team to pray for you and believe God for your needs to be met. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, <clears throat> click on the giving link, and I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. Amen.